Welcome everyone to the Every Other Thursday podcast, where in each episode we bring you suggestions for improving the guest dining experience and our industry roundtable, where we tackle the industry issues of the moment. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 30-minute presentation featuring our industry experts who are never shy about offering up their thoughts and ideas. Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. Tabletop Journal, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Every Other Thursday. And for those of you who are counting, this is episode number 10 of Every Other Thursday. I'm Dave Turner. I'm your host here. And and in case you're wondering, we are virus-free at Every Other Thursday Studios, our studios in the sky. And as always, I'm here with my colleagues, Jay Alley and Greg Kiris. Hey, guys, how are you all today? Very good. Fine. A question I have for both of you, which has you more concerned? Are you concerned about catching the coronavirus or the headache you're getting from the stock markets? Personally, the headache I'm getting from the stock markets. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of a... It's a little whiplash going on right now, I think. I don't know where they are today, but they've been up, they've been down, they've been sideways. Down 900. 900. Down 900. Well, I'm sure it's, as they say, this too shall pass. But I want to get some of the general business we've got here out of the way. And for you new listeners, every other Thursday is our 30-minute podcast, 30 minutes or so podcast, where we showcase the interesting tabletop-related products and ideas of the day, all with the idea of engaging the dining guests and elevating the guest dining experience. And all the while, we want to help that operator increase their profitability. So along with new products and new ideas, every other Thursday is where we also undertake a vigorous roundtable discussion, sometimes more vigorous than others, on some of the hot topics of the moment. And of course, we're not going to be any different this week. And I also need to let everyone know that this week's episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, as I mentioned here at Every Other Thursday, we showcase new ideas, new concepts that will help operators increase their business and their profitability. And we do that by starting each episode off with Greg bringing us his new big idea of the week. Greg, what have you got for us this week that's going to improve the operator's ability to make more cash? Once again, I continue a theme, old ideas are new again. And so I was in Europe again. I was in London. He's always in Europe, Jay. What do you think about that? (laughs) I don't think we should be talking to them. Maybe this stuff's transmitted through the wires. We're both in trouble. No, you guys are, everybody, everybody's safe. And I was at a museum cafe in London. And as you can imagine, fast, casual kind of place. And in general, the museum cafes are actually known, at least in the London area, for having pretty good food. But I was there and something struck me that, you know, there was a place setting when we sat at a table. There was a linen tablecloth and the cutlery was all laid out for a regular place setting. So we ordered, there were several of us. And then, as is customary, the in this case it was a waiter, comes back after we ordered and then starts rearranging and changing out the cutlery. So, for example, if someone ordered soup, there was a soup spoon. Somebody ordered meat, you got a, uh, a steak knife, fish, they got a fish knife, extra salad, you got another salad fork. And I got to tell you that I don't think anybody, I don't know if anybody else noticed, but the other guests that at this table afterwards said it was just a, a really great experience. And I got to believe 
that part of the experience was this attention to detail. I don't know how many guests actually think, oh, they came in and they changed out my silverware, or my cutlery, but it's just this in- nice attention to detail and the ceremony. And it just felt really good and gave a wonderful start to the meal. And it added on to the entire experience. And I know that operators abhor getting you know more cutlery and also training their staff to have to change things out and the coordination. And I understand all that, but I got to believe it just it really elevates the experience. And it does a very good job at that. And then I got the bill. It came, I paid with the credit card. I got the bill once I got back here to the States. And I didn't know it at the time, but the operator was Sodexo. So Sodexo knows how to do this as an organization. I don't know how many places in the U.S. they would actually be doing it, but I would recommend that it, it would be a good thing to do. And having said that, I have noticed from, I, I lived in London during the mid-90s, And there, if you ordered fish, you always, always got a fish knife. And the last couple of times I've been back, they have been taking more. By and large, I've seen the the kind of the U.S. model where there was no longer a fish fish knife. And you could just tell operators even there are trying to cut back. But I think that that whole thing about the cutlery just really elevated the dining experience. Well, I I will jump in here and just say that I love that idea. Obviously, it has some uh, behavioral issues. You've got to teach your staff to change things out. You've got to teach them why uh, a a fish knife is important or it's not, or a sauce spoon is important. But I love the idea of changing out cutlery because it makes that particular dish that you're bringing a soup spoon for, for instance, makes that soup a little bit more special. And you're right, it does change the experience and I think elevates it. But it also, I mean, you should be able to charge slightly more, I would suspect, for that kind of, but the hardest part might be just what I said earlier, and that is training your staff to recognize when somebody orders French onion soup, you have to go now and change the spoon out and bring that. Or that maybe you have a special dessert that you have, and when you do that, you bring out the special dessert spoon. I think it's, to me, it's all about the merchandising of each or at least some of the menu items you have on your menu. And when you start doing that, when you start breaking it down, it's, for instance, when you, even even coffee service, don't bring out a teaspoon a U.S.-sized teaspoon, and they're different in Europe, but a U.S.-sized teaspoon, don't bring that out when you bring out uh, espresso or, or even a regular coffee. There should be a smaller size spoon for that. And with today, if you think about it, and, and I always go back, Greg, you and I have talked about this a little before. I love the idea of tasting spoons. Because they, especially for an amuse bush or, or, or something like that, you bring it out with a special spoon. And to be fair, how many of them does an operator need? Two dozen? They're a buck a piece. So you're going to spend less than $50 for tasting spoons, or maybe it's $100. And yes, maybe some walk with a customer, they steal them. But I think it changes everything. And I think it does change the experience, first of all, for the guest. And secondly, Greg, to your old word of dialogue, it creates a, it gives the opportunity for a dealer salesperson to create dialogue with the operator. I love it. I think you guys are exactly right. And, and I'll tell you what, the cost, the cost of having a little bit of extra flatware around is a pretty poor excuse. And I'll, I'll tell you, most of the mid-level and finer dining steakhouses that, that we sell to will do that. But the other day we were, we were having 
a meal, and the salad came out before the entree, which was great. Ate the salad, and lady comes and takes. It said, you know, basically, you're all done with your salad. Yes, I am. I got my flatware stacked up on the side of my place setting with the knife on it on the coaster. So on my saucer of my coffee cup, my fork there and the on the spoon dirty because I had used them. And she took the salad plate away and left the salad fork that had salad dressing all over it right there in front of me. And I thought to myself, you know what? That's just bad management by the operator who owns that restaurant. I mean, for a server to do that. And, you know, it wasn't that they were very friendly and very nice, but that's that's just insanity not to to bring that level of attention to the table, especially if you're in a a mid to upper level fine dining restaurant. I mean, I agree. I think the whole idea of getting operators to stop trying to cut costs and, and try to enhance experience, I think, plays into this. And Jay, you're a glass guy. I mean, everybody in the world can't be going to an all-purpose one, one all-purpose stem right. for wine. Right. Well, a lot of times when they have when they have two, they'll ask you, "Will you be having wine tonight, red or white?" And they'll take the the, the white glass away or whatever. I mean, it's it. it look, when a master sommelier goes for their accreditation, one of the biggest things, and they can fail and not get it by failing the service portion of that whole thing. Now they're trained on how to pour wine from a decanter, how to pour wine from a bottle, what you know, what you do with the cork once you uncork it, if you cork it, uncork it table side. But that's really no different. I mean, you know, any server that's interested in improving the tip would almost be smart enough to automatically do that. I don't think the cost of the flatware has much to do with it. I just think it's a lack of awareness. It's just people not thinking about it. So that's kind of what we've been talking about, or at least I've been trying to present with these products in the last 10 episodes, is that I fully understand these operators are under tremendous pressure and, you know, all this stuff going on and, you know, in the marketplace and coronavirus now and everything. And so and then here we are, and here I am suggesting all these products, but, but trying to drill comes to mind. I was thinking, I was wondering where we we're going to get to the bone marrow spoons. There, so that episode one, that's episode one. So, and really, so what this is, what we're talking about here is a low cost, relatively easy way of elevating the experience. So I'm not, we're not talking revolution here. It's more like evolution or actually in many cases, a look backward and, you know, just some simple things really can change the entire dining experience. So to your point, Jay, if they would have, you know, somebody would have had a better management of the of the cutlery, the flatware, it would have just totally changed your your experience, you know. Yeah, and it was it was so obvious because I had it stacked up right there. I mean, you couldn't take my salad plate away and miss it. There's just no way. Now, a lot of times, what I'll do is I, when I'm done with it, I'll put the utensil in the salad plate, so they have no alternative but to, you know, usually I'll put the knife and the fork in and bring me another one. But yeah, it's just really lack of of thought. I don't think it's a cost. I mean, I think a lot of these things we talk about. I don't think the cost is much of an issue. I think the issue of cutlery and how it can change the dining experience, I think it's perfect. I think it's great. I think there are going to always be people who say, oh, they, they come up with tons of reasons why I can't do it. it costs too much. I can't train my staff, whatever. But I got to tell you, it changes the guest experience. It's an easy, low-cost enhancer. I think you can sell more desserts with a dessert spoon, sell more fish, perhaps with a fish uh, knife and fork. And certainly you can change out a salad fork for Jay. I think that's a great point. The other thing, you know, you talk about cost of stuff. stuff. Well, a while back, I was in a, in a restaurant, a nice restaurant, fine dining restaurant. And server came over and poured water into a water glass. And I didn't really even recognize what was going on until I noticed the water glass was exceptionally small. 
I thought to myself, that's a little different. So after a few minutes and, you know, I drank most of the water because it was probably maybe a 10-ounce glass. You know, water glass is usually 17, 18, 19 ounces, whatever. So when the server came back, I said, gee, I said, you guys have really got a little a small water glass. I said, is there a reason for that? The server said, yeah, absolutely. Our owners want us coming back to your table to make sure you've got plenty of water because it forces us to interact with you to see if there's anything else we can do for you. That same thing happened to me in Charleston in a different way. We were sitting at, at a nice hotel that we would have breakfast at before we went into the Charleston Food and Wine Festival. And the Southern hospitality was all there in full bloom. And the lady pouring coffee would come with the pot. And I said, gee, I said, wouldn't it be a lot easier for you to, if you had, you know, a little four or five cup coffee pot, which you see all over the place. And she said, no, no. She said, part of what we do here is we come over a lot to ask you if you would like more coffee just because it keeps us in front of you. Those are no cost touches that were pretty cool. I mean, those are the kind of subtle things that we're talking about here. I think that's those are great. In fact, yep. I think that we should maybe focus more on them in a future episode. Yeah, there's a lot of ways. It doesn't cost money to do some of that at all. Very counterintuitive to, to what you see in today's trends, though, because you have people leaving the pot right out of the coffee pot, and Jay, in that example, leaving it right on the table, or water. People are selling bottles to leave water on there so that people can replenish their own glasses of water. That seems to be, have been a trend more for the past few years than, the, than what you just described. Yeah, but what they can also do, I mean, I've had it happen where we have, I don't buy bottled water much, but I've actually had it happen where the size of the glass had nothing to do with it, but we ordered the bottle of water. Bottle of water was on the table, and the server would keep coming, checking back, and actually pick the bottle up off the table and pour water into our glass. Yeah, that's a bottle of water we bought. So yeah, it just depends on what the restaurant, you know, or you know what, it wouldn't surprise me that a lot of this stuff is 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 just that the individual server, if they're pretty experienced, one does on their own. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think? You know, this trend towards putting like more water on the table, bigger containers, is to make it operationally more efficient, or does it supposed to convey a feeling, a sense of generosity? I don't know, but I can I can tell you that, that one of the things that is, aggravates me is having to have a fine meal of any kind. I don't care if it's expensive or not expensive, and having so much crap on a table that you can't enjoy yourself because there's no room to put in anything. Well, that down. gets back to our last episode with the Lazy Susans. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, no, I, I get that, but what I'm saying is some tables, and they're not even necessarily small tables. It could be two tops, but some of them, I mean, by the time you get a floral display on there and salt and pepper shaker and everything else, I mean, it, it becomes that annoying when you don't have enough room. To, well, you know. back to this week's big idea from Greg. I think cutlery offers a great chance. It's a, First of all, the, the cutlery is one of the most tactile things that you're going to encounter when you're dining out and because you, you touch it, you taste it and, and put it in your mouth and all that, forks and spoons and all. And so I think it's an easy, low-cost way to do exactly what we said, elevate the dining experience, but also get the server to going back to the table. Yep. And probably the biggest hurdle I would expect operators to have in this is the retraining of their staff. Yep. Because what you've seen over the past years, a uh, few years is, again, it's gone the other way. You used to, instead of, Greg, when you were in London, you probably had, you might've had two forks, knife, a spoon and everything, the full place. Now you're lucky if you get a fork and a knife. Right, right. Yep. In some places. So we got to hunt down the genius that, that invented these little things you see at Fridays and Applebee's where they put the little tiny mini TV where you can pay your bill by yourself and don't need a server and so nobody can figure out how to work them so the server comes over and does twice the work anyway and then you get this <laughs> stupid thing sitting on your table 
Yeah, you got to be a technology expert now. Okay, cool. We're going to take a break now. Great job, Greg. Another, another great job on your big idea, big concept. We're going to take a break right now and come back here, and we're going to kick it around. I want to hear all about Jay's travel. Jay's been on the road. He went to the Charleston Food and Wine Festival. Jay, we want to hear all about that. And we got to talk a little coronavirus, not much, but we're going to, we're going to get in there because it's everywhere, and we want to give you our take on it. So we'll be back in a minute. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag TabletopMatters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, back to our podcast. Okay, everybody, we're back again. And Jay, you've been on the road and you were in Charleston, the lovely city of Charleston, South Carolina, and you were at the Food and Wine Festival down there. And one of the surprising things for me and talking to you briefly about it was you were commenting on the great number of fantastic chefs that were there. So tell us a little bit about the Charleston Food and Wine Festival and how that all went. Yeah, it's been going. It's been, I think it's just the 10th year and we provided all the glassware for the show. So they, as part of the requirement, even though we provided the glass, they wanted us to be there to represent the, the Stolzel brand. So we had a beautiful table set up and there was approximately oh, 5,000 or more a day folks coming through, uh, civilians and people from the industry and even some dealer people were through. So the, the thing was well attended. You know, it, w- it was quite an event. I mean, you, you'd almost think that there was nothing going on in our country other than this festival it was really, really well done. So we talked to a lot of people, a lot of retail customers, a lot, a lot of operators that came to their own restaurants and some other people that you know promoted festivals that wanted to talk to us. A bunch of chefs, one of which Dave, you know, up in your neck of the woods from Maine. I think there were more chefs there than we realized a lot of them didn't have, you know, that would be the world famous Melissa Kelly, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. She's a great chef. Super lady. And her staff was there with her and, it was terrific, but I think there were a lot more people in, in, on the chef and, and cooking side than we realized, but I think a lot of them weren't wearing uniforms. The ones that were wearing uniforms were working at booths, so they didn't get a lot of time to, to come around and socialize. But all, all in all, it was really, really a wonderful event celebrating the better things and their you know, I, I just uh, it, to play pop psychologist here just briefly, I think these festivals are gaining in popularity because as the world gets more digitized and more hard, if you will, with data and digitalization and Internet and all that, everybody's seeking refuge in food, tactile things like food and wine and, the, and having these local festivals where you can connect with the people, these creators, these artisan chefs that create these wonderful meals and these beverage people, that's an escape from all the the hard living that we do and all the problems we may have. So that's my pop psychology take on uh, food and wine festivals and why they're continuing to grow in popularity. I think. Yeah, I think that, I think early on we used to do them. Uh, it was just we're going to go there and eat a lot of food, drink a lot of liquor for very little money. But it's interesting. There was hey, they ain't cheap now to attend one. They're not cheap. No, and the thing that I noticed, which which really was noticeable, because a lot of these things is some, a lot of people get overserved because it's tough to control it. I didn't see anybody out of all of those numbers. I'm sure there might have been a couple, but I mean, I didn't see anybody walking around that was a little bit out of it because they had too much to drink. So that's a good thing. 
I think it gives great exposure to the chefs too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so it's no longer just the weird chef who has who's covered in tattoos and has got shotgun shells in his earlobes or, or whatever that uh, is cool. You've got to really go out and meet people and greet, and you've got to be uh, able to interact and with the public and carry yourself in a certain way. Yeah, a lot of education on the bourbon stuff that's taking place, and it was just really, really good. It all supports this, you know, adventure and sophistic increased sophistication of the population regarding food that we keep on talking about. And so all this tabletop stuff feeds right into right feeds right into that, you know. The vessels that you drink from, the we talked in the opening segment today about cutlery, the importance of it, and certainly dinnerware plays a big role. You see people connecting with these tools on the table. Yep. Well, it, it's you're exactly right. And one of the, you know, from my side of it, because we're a glass company, I mean, it was really impressive to see how many people knew about our brand because we don't, I mean, we, you know, we just started our retail division. So the only way they would really know about us is either seeing us at a festival, using our products in a restaurant and that kind of stuff. But it was amazing how many people were talking about good glass they use in their house. And of course the number one topic when it was high end stuff was, was Riedel glassware. But it's amazing that the people walking around those shows, I mean, they, they're sharply dressed. A lot of them are wearing Rolex watches and they're not drinking out of commodity wine glasses or using junk cutlery at home. You know, it's good China, good flatware, good crystal. I mean, and only a handful of solo red solo cups, right? Not one red solo cup that I see. Not even the red solo cup wine glass, which I was kind of disappointed because yeah. that originated in the South. <laughs> I think it, what we've been saying for a long time is true. And I think the greatest times in all our lives are usually uh, around a table with food and beverage, with family and friends and people we love. Yeah. And I think the tools that help create those great memories are right on the table. And it creates a very tactile memory that that grows over time. And there's lots of reasons on lots of different psychological levels why tabletop matters. And that's why we keep preaching that gospel. Makes you feel good. No doubt about it. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Good job on the. And how many people did you say, Jay, were at the festival? It was north of 15 to 18,000 people. I'll get more numbers uh, from Maddie Hall, one of the gals that worked with us. Yeah, that's a great number to be pulled into, into a, an event in a city like Charleston, I think, because the people going to those kinds of festivals, they're, they're not just spending money at the festival. They're spending money, in a certain percentage of them anyway, are spending money in hotels, spending money traveling there, and so on. So it, it's no wonder that those kinds of festivals are growing in popularity, and, and I'm guessing we'll continue to do so for a long time into the future. Yeah, we're looking to do more and more as a company, so we'll, we'll, we'll keep everybody posted as they develop. Yep. Cool. Okay. Next wonderful topic I want to touch on, and I and I want to try and keep our conversation to pretty much to our industry. The impact of the wonderful coronavirus and what's going on. I mean, everything under the sun has been canceled except this uh, recent New York show. Cater Source, I know, uh, has been going on in uh, Vegas, but the Houseware show was canceled. Lots of other things. What does it mean to our industry, the the hospitality industry as a whole, in in, in your opinions? Well, I think it's going to affect us. I mean, we, it already is. And I think that smart operators will start really pushing how much they do to keep their facilities spotless and making sure they got as much hand sanitizer and things to, to keep the restrooms clean and doing things that they should be probably doing anyway. But I think you're going to see some dynamics in the, inside the operations change. I mean, there's a lot of things going on that don't really appear on the surface. So for example, I'm a true believer. I, I was in the events business. I'm a true believer in trade shows, but trade shows for lots of reasons have been under lots of pressure. And one of them is, is of course the cost of sending people. And there's been a push 
for years to like, why do we need the NRA show every year? Why can't this be an every other year event, for example? And I personally believe that it's a great show every year. But if in fact, this is a bad show coming up, or they cancel, there's going to be a big push, I think, for a once a year or once every other year event. And then the question is, is okay, now what does that do to the industry? You know, to feed into your question, Dave, I mean, is this okay to not be presenting ideas right in front of operators? Or can they wait 24 months? You know, so there's a, there's a lot of things going on, you know, other than just fewer customers coming through the door. No, I agree. And I think that's probably a subject that we could build a whole podcast series around is how do brands, how do products of all types connect to the buyer? And today there are so many different avenues to get your messaging out. And when you get asked, and sometimes I do get asked about which avenue, which channel should I do? And it usually starts with a discussion about trade shows. The very cliche, but still unfortunately true answer is you got to be on all these avenues. You've got to have your message everywhere. And the really, the place that I think a lot of, and I'm talking about from the supplier side now, but I think the place that a lot of suppliers of tabletop products struggle with is making sure that number one, that they have a consistent brand message across all those avenues, both in their trade show participation, their social media participation, everything down to the business cards that they have their people, their ambassadors of their brands, carry around with them to the the brand ambassadors they hire themselves. And so I, I think that having that strong, consistent message helps brands go to market. And that's what you're talking about with a trade show function. And then also making sure that that frequency of that messaging is is plentiful, plentiful enough. And from my way of thinking, you need to always, always have your message out there in a variety of forums. So trade shows, trade shows, we can discuss them forever, but I think they become the expense of participating in a trade show becomes a concern. And it, I love trade shows. To me, if you do them right, there's no better return on your investment if you do them right than a three or four or five day, whatever it is, opportunity to stand face-to-face, belly-to-belly with your customers or potential customers, and then communicate your message directly. Unfortunately, um, most people in our category, there are some, uh, obviously some great exceptions, but most people in our category are really product centric. Uh, Hey, we've got a great new widget. How many of them do you want? And I think they would be better served by being much more customer centric and and meaning what, what can this do? Greg, it's what you talk about in every one of your opening segments. What can this product do to help my customer make more money or you know, create a better experience for my customers' guests. And I think sometimes suppliers, uh, particularly tabletop suppliers, get focused on the product itself, not what the product can do for them. The other thing, while you guys were talking about this, I was just thinking about this. We, we should start a booth at the NRA show and start a company and, and just call our booths the common sense approach to running your business. And, and, and <laughs> That makes too much sense, Jay. It just struck me because you're talking about cleanliness and forks and knives and yada yada and I'm, I'm sitting here thinking all of us probably know Dorona correct you guys all know distinguished restaurants in North America a good friend of mine was an inspector for that for that organization are they still around by the way 
Does anybody know? See, there you go. <laughs> if, if you've got to ask the question, that's a problem. Well, for I know. I don't know if they are. I had no reason. <laughs> I was a member. I don't know anymore. I, I, I would say I, I, the other question is, I, if they're still around, are they relevant? Well, well, here's the thing. If you want a, a Deroner Award in your restaurant, you would have to put in a request. Deroner uh, Inspector would come out. They would tell you probably he's going to be out within a two-month period, not tell you when, nothing. And just as it might relate to this corona thing, one of the premier things on how they gauge your restaurant, other than your quality of food, quality of the tabletop was a big measure. You had to have good stuff on the table. If you had a wine spectator list, you probably didn't get that list unless you had good glassware on the table and all of that. But one of the big things, and my buddy that was an inspector, really, he says, Jay, you wouldn't believe how many we fail on this because it's ridiculous. You walk into the restroom. The wastebasket's full of paper towels. The sink's got water and crap all over it, and nobody's been in there for two hours. Most Corona restaurants, yep. if you've got the award, they have somebody going into the into the restroom area to make sure that it's tidied up every half hour minimum. And 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 you know, I just think about that, and I go, you know, when, when you got a Chick Fil A operator has a cleaner restroom than a fine dining restaurant, there's some issues in the in our business that need to be addressed at the ground floor level. Do you think Danny Meyer is succeeding because his food is is so much better than everybody else? I think Danny Meyer succeeds because it, it's probably the whole the whole scenario. And I understand. I mean, he's probably covering it all. And I understand. I understand. You know that, that sometimes restaurants get so crazy or nutso places so busy that maybe. It, it cycled out and somebody didn't get in there quick enough to clean it up. But, but that to me is things like that are things that, you know, we could have the greatest products in the world, but if you go into a restaurant that if I do, that's my measure of, of, of a place I'm going to go back to unless the food's just deplorable. But if I walk into a restaurant and the, the restroom areas and things like that, or there's, or there's any, it looks not cleanly cleanliness. Or I'm, I'm out of there. Well, to get back to the coronavirus issue, long-term impact, short-term impact in our industry, what's, what's going to happen? Well, I think it's going to force people to address a situation that I just brought up. But I brought it up to say that we can look at all the greatest products in the world. But if people are not doing the simple little basic things to make their place an environmentally. Yeah, but are people going to go, are customers going to go to restaurants less frequently during coronavirus or stay in hotels less? It seems to me they would be. I think the answer is yes. I think a little bit. And, and it's going to be, I think, a big, big short term impact with a lingering long term. You know, we're already we're already seeing it. I think a hundred thousand people that were supposed to be in Chicago over the next couple of weeks are not coming now. You know, sure. because of all the because of all the events that have been canceled. So that's gonna, you know, well, that in itself is going to make a huge impact. You guys go to restaurants. What, 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 how are you? Are you two going to feel if you walk into a place that's in a scenario where you're not seeing much being done to address the, the state of the environment of that restaurant? Remember when we were kids, we'd walk into the Waldorf Astoria bathrooms, and there was always a little attendant there, and he'd hand you a towel, or he would hand you some. You know, you'd always leave him a buck. Uh, you, you could get. I think the basics of service need to return, and they need to return in a big hurry, especially when it involves sanitation and cleanliness. I think that everybody's awareness of those kinds of issues has been raised. And I'll tell you something I worry about on the supplier side is the liquidity of tabletop suppliers and smaller companies in our sector. Because if you right now, whether it's um, you know running out of inventory from supply chain issues that have evolved out of coronavirus, or or perhaps maybe your customer base is pausing because their business has slowed, 
And what's the resource, staying power, if you will, to go to market? When we talk about tabletop, we're talking about there's a heck of a lot of suppliers that are under that, let's call it $50 million in revenue mark. And, you know, tabletop is not the most profitable category you could probably be participating in. So you've got to figure out a way to make sure that the service levels during this coronavirus situation, nobody knows how long it's going to last, but hopefully it doesn't last long. But it could. It's certainly going to have some impact in several months. And And particularly if you're a supplier that also sells into retail and depends upon the retailer Christmas holiday season. That's the buying for that is coming up very quickly. And so I worry about our supplier side because right now nobody knows what's going to happen. And I want them all to be here. I want them all to be here and to prosper. And our goal at Tabletop Journal is to make everybody that's in the category more successful. But right now I'm, I have a big concern about them and also the dealer network too. You know, the, the supply chain side is really important. I think you're absolutely correct. I think I think smaller suppliers to this industry, if they're not financially secure with their parent companies or whatever, could have a problem. I think there's going to be an absolute boon with the online ordering. You don't have to go anywhere. You just go on your computer and you can order and it shows up at your doorstep. So I think that's going to have a dramatic effect. It's already had a dramatic effect in retail. I think it's going to have more of an effect. Yeah, and you, you've got grocery stores now that are that are putting out a pretty damn good prepared meal product, no matter the category, and some are better than others, but you can have a great meal at home. And the cost differentiation between buying your, your meal at, at a grocery store and buying it at a restaurant, that's being noticed more and more by consumers. So, so I think that this virus situation may accelerate an awareness of, hey, you know, I can have a pretty darn good meal in my home, too. If I'm a ghost restaurant right now, I think I'm worried a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Lots to think about. Okay, guys, listen, a couple of great things came out of this roundtable this week. And one of them is this overall level of service, Jay, that you spent some time on. And I'd like to come back and talk about that as a full, uh, maybe even a full session sometime. And Greg, the idea of cutlery, we could spend another whole session on just on cutlery, I think, too. And, And those are small but very critical ways to elevate that guest experience. So great job this week. Jay, where are you traveling to next? Any place on on your radar screen that you want to tell our listeners about? No, a little bit local for right now, but in April, we're going to another festival down in the Panhandle of Florida. So we'll see how that goes. It's a pretty good sized unit. We're not going to be displaying there, but we're going to be talking to that group about other festivals that they run. So little recon. Recon. Recon on the festival circuit. Okay, guys, listen, great job. Appreciate it. Thanks for everybody for joining us here at Every Other Thursday, brought to you again by Tabletop Journal, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. We'll see you next time. Take care. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag Tabletop Matters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, EveryOtherThursdayPodcast.com.